This is Exxon Anderson and welcome today to the Principal Podcast. Today I am excited to have Jenny Alde Townsend with us. She is the president and CEO of the Music Compound and she is the creator of the Stroke It podcast and the soon to be released Stroke It book. Jenny, thank you for being on the podcast with us today. Thanks so much. Looking forward to tuning in and being here for all your listeners. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your uh, your podcast and your book. For... Good. Yeah. So I am the creator of Stroke It, which is your guide to enhancing every relationship, especially with yourself. Uh, the Stroke It podcast and book actually started as a journal that I was using to release a lot of emotions when I was going through a very painful experience years ago. Uh, it was inspired. Yeah. So it was inspired by my husband's affair with a coworker. And I had speculated the affair for several years, but simultaneously I had just launched my dream business and I basically became obsessed with my company and forgot I was married. So I was working all the time. I was working for free. And if there was an option to do anything music compound related or spend time with my husband or my family, my company always won. And so um, basically I just started journaling and the whole project just transformed um, right before my eyes. It basically was a way for me to release emotions, process what I was going through. And through that process, I took ownership and my role uh, as a wife and how I was contributing to the marriage. So basically the mission is to help other individuals take ownership of their life, be happy so that they can not only be happy for themselves, but be happy for other people, especially if they're married. I love that. So tell us a little bit more about that story about what happened when you were building your business. Yeah. So I, I drummed up this business plan when I was in college and I got a corporate gig and traveled across the country for a few years before actually starting my company. And, you know, it was a dream of mine and it's really cool. Like nine years later, people were like, oh my God, you actually did it. And I did, but that's because I put my heart, soul into it. I risked everything. I gave up all relationships to make it happen. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that. Um, When you're just passionate about what you're doing, you just want to do it all the time, no matter what. So um, it's it's been an amazing experience as far as the business concerned. Uh, when this happened, um, I was working 60 hours, 70 hours a week. And like I said, really focused on my business. When I discovered my husband was actually having the fare that I speculated, I got pulled off that hamster wheel, like super, super fast. And at that point, I had to make a decision. Do I make my marriage work? Do I sell my company? Can I have both? Can I do both? And there was it was time to pause and really think about what I needed, what I wanted, and what I wanted my future to look like. And at that moment in time, I decided to pick my marriage because it was important to me. And I had a team in place that I just had to release control and trust that they would like take the business from red to black, which they did. Right. So your marriage is, how is it doing now? Yeah. So my marriage is absolutely amazing. My husband and I just celebrated 10 years of marriage. We went to Italy for two weeks and we have more connection, more honesty, more connection, like as far as like who he is, who he wants to be, who I am. And 
when we're on the couch, we are having conversations. I'm not on one end and he's not on the other, other end scrolling through the phones or not paying attention to each other. We understand our love languages. That was a huge game changer. Uh, I always thought quality time was us in the same room. And most men think that way, but my husband, quality time is all about him having conversations with me that's intimate, that's focused, that's between two people versus me just nodding. Sure, I'm listening. So um, so we've we've just we're in an amazing place. And people always said, if you can make it through this obstacle, your marriage will be better than ever. And when you're faced with discovering that your spouse has cheated on you or has betrayed you or has done this like awful thing to you, the last thing you want to think is about forgiving them or considering forgiving or moving past it or moving on. You're so full of pain and hate and anger and you're blaming them, you're blaming yourself and it's just an emotional roller coaster. So having someone say that to you, you're like, there's no way in heck that's going to happen. But through the process, through the years, through therapy, through self-discovery and ownership and through a lot of um, different things, I was able to find forgiveness and I'm so grateful. And like I said, we're just in an amazing place. So I'm happy that I listened to the people that have been in my shoes before. Because I think another thing is, is when you're faced with this kind of um, episode or this type of obstacle, you tend to talk to people that have never been in this. And a lot of people are super opinionated and tell you, leave, there's no way. So I would encourage people to like look for people that have been in this situation before you take their other people's advice. Right. Interesting. Yeah. You've got to be careful about getting totally free advice that there's that adage that says, uh, you know, free advice is worth what you pay for sometimes, <laughs> maybe not all the time, you know, friends can give you some great advice. Let me ask you this. Um, what was it that helped you get over this the most? I mean, if you could say here, you said your husband had an affair. And I think when we chatted before you had mentioned said, well, part of it was because I had devoted so much time to my business. That yeah, tell, I us think what, tell us the process a little bit. You've already mentioned some of it. But tell us a little bit of the process of getting over that and how that right. I think first and foremost was taking ownership and taking a step back and looking at the entire relationship. Not only where my husband failed, but where did I fail? Where did I fail as a wife? Where did I fail to show up? Where did I fail on my commitment? Did that, I understand? Way, that question, just to cut you off for a second, that question, where did I fail? is such a hard question to honestly take a look at for anybody, for anybody in anybody relationship. Say, okay, what am I doing wrong? It takes a lot of maturity to stop and say, wait, I got to turn inward and say, it's not yeah. all that person out there. It's such an easy thing to say, hey, it's their fault or it's her fault or his fault or my child's fault or my boss's fault. But to actually say, what am I doing to contributing to whatever the issue is? is yeah. Right? I mean, it's very eye opening. I mean, even just how do you wake up each morning? Are you greeting that person with a smile and are you making them feel loved? Are you wanting to wake up next to them or are you not? So I literally had to like look at like all the ways that I was contributing and how was I showing up? What type of energy did I have? What was my tone of voice? What was the look on my face? And I really like just started like looking and I became very, very angry. And that's where I think a lot of you have, like you start blaming yourself and then 
That's why when you get to the forgiveness part, you have to forgive yourself first because of where you failed, right? And so I feel like just taking ownership first and foremost and taking my time, like I didn't rush decisions. I mean, yes, I threw half of our house out by the road and there was, you know, I moved out, but at the same time, I wasn't really ready to get divorced and like separate from my husband. So I think first of all, just acknowledging your role in the relationship as well. Um, I had to avoid negativity. So I had to avoid toxic people, toxic places, songs. Like I was just triggered. So I had to avoid a lot of different things along with avoid rushing decisions. And then I had to accept the facts. You don't always want to accept the facts and you always want to make up another story and you want to, you know, just get all the details. Like you don't need to know all the details of an affair. Like at the end of the day, it happened. So you don't want those mental impressions and you don't want a lot of those things that are going to prevent you from moving forward. So if I would have known all the places, I probably would never be able to eat or sleep anywhere. I would never be able to go to a hotel or I like, I still don't know where any of these things happened. So accepting the facts, accepting the apology was a game changer. Um, And when you accept the apology, it doesn't mean like, okay, it's okay. Get out of jail free or all pass. You're just accepting that they are really, really sorry and you're able to move on. Um, accepting that apology was super, super hard for me. And then through the process, I had to start attracting what I wanted. What did I want? I wanted love. So in order to be able to receive love, I had to show love. I had to attract positivity. So in order to do that, I have to put myself in rooms where there's really positive people. So yoga, sound path therapy, uh, women that were making a difference. So through that, I mean, it's it's de- it was like a three and a half year process to go from discovery to like what I call recovery and giving in and finding forgiveness. It took, it took a while. No, it took a while. And I became very sick. And there, I mean, it was definitely hell. I definitely don't want to act like it was super easy because um, what tends to happen, especially if you are a business owner, really anybody, but I'm type A personality, very masculine energy as well. So it was like, I kept pushing everything down. Like I got this and I didn't want anyone to know what was really happening either. So I stored all the energy in my right shoulder. And after time, I could not even lift my arm. Shortly after that, I ended up getting shingles. So I had to go through a lot of therapy and I was like seeking acupuncture and people helping heal my mind and my internal emotions so the rest of my body could heal. So it's definitely not anything I suggest anyone going through, but that's why I have this mission to help people with making sure your spouse and your partner knows that they are important and not to take them for granted and not to just, you know, allow things to go, like throw out the rug, fight for your marriage, fight for the relationship that you want, look within because that mirror, the writing is usually on the wall. We're just too afraid to read it. Interesting. You know, one of the things I liked that you said, and this could help any relationship, is you said, how am I showing up? You know, how am I, how am I leading? And it reminded me of one a little story that uh, Stephen Covey, uh, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, most a lot of people read that. <laughs> there, there you go. I think in one of his books, he's, he told a story, something like this, where some, after a conference or a presentation of some sort, somebody came up to him and said, I don't love my wife anymore. And it kind of surprised him. And he he looked at the guy and said something like, 
well, then love her. And the guy said, I don't think you heard me. Like I've fallen out of love with her. She's fallen out of love with me. We have three kids. We're probably heading for a divorce. And uh, Stephen Covey said something to the effect of, well, if you're not feeling it, that would be a good reason to love her. And the guy said, well, how do you love someone you don't love? I just told you we're not loving him. He said, well, you're acting like love is a feeling. Love isn't a feeling. Love's a verb. But here's the thing. If you do the verb, the feeling will follow. So, you know, if you're not feeling love for your spouse, maybe the answer isn't to get a divorce. Maybe the answer is to go do the dishes or give her a back rub or get, you know, to get, take her on a, on a honeymoon of some, and a second honeymoon or, or do something to show that you love them. And I think that's, I really like how you said that. How am I showing up? It's kind of like we can lead our feelings with, with actions. You know, we can do stuff that helps us feel love. Even yeah. if we don't initially feel it in the moment, right? Yeah. It's definitely leaning in and giving what you want to receive, being the change you want to see as well. It was super that. hard for me to love my husband after all of the pain that he caused me. But I knew that I did love him and I could remember the man that I fell in love with as well. And I knew if I was going to give it a shot and give it a hundred percent, I had to lean in and I had to show him love and I had to show him care and that I was willing to forgive and make a difference. And I had to lean in and make a lot of changes too. Sometimes you probably didn't feel like showing care at the time. I guess did you have to sometimes show care when you didn't feel like it? I mean, did you have I mean, through, through the process, I had to make decisions. I had to have a lot of mindset shifts and like being present and moving forward, not living in the past. I didn't want the past to define us. The past, you know, created a changed relationship and a changed marriage. But I just looked at it as like that marriage is done. I can leave my husband and go find another person and start all over again and maybe have a good marriage. But I already know his faults. We've already failed. Now we can learn from all of our mistakes and make a really great, solid foundation when a really beautiful relationship. And that's what we were able to do. I love that. And and I think we find out in marriage that we're, we're all imperfect, right? What I'm saying is, is everyone finds out I'm married to somebody who's imperfect. And of course, we know we're imperfect as well. And yeah, trading for the next thing, you're just going to get another set of, of uh imperfections we could call them right (laughs) and typically we pick the same person as well so they're not going to be that much different Um, another game changer for a relationship especially for me was really looking at our childhood and seeing how his parents showed him love because that's the love that he needed and that's the, the love that he was accustomed to and then looking at my upbringing, understanding my love from my parents. They were two totally different things. Really, how so, were they? I'm curious. How were they different? So um, my parents, I'll start there, were entrepreneurs. They worked uh, worked really, really hard. My parents showed me love by putting a roof over my head and feeding me and giving me opportunities and mentoring me and bringing me up in the company and their businesses and things like that. So there was no snuggling There was no nighttime book reading sessions. If we were sick, it was like, go to bed, lay down. I mean, they gave us some medicine maybe, but it just was very hard, cold love. But at the end of the day, all of our needs were met. And I'm really grateful for that upbringing. My husband's parents, his mom was a teacher and his dad was a funeral director. So very nurturing, loving, 
compassionate people and just very hands-on. And both of his parents lost their dads at a really young age. So they always make sure that you know that they love you and that you're just important and they want to be present because their dads weren't. So his parents just, when I first, we first started dating, they like hugged me. I was like, this is really weird. Stop. Then they told me they loved me. And I was like, my parents never told me they loved me. <laughs> so, you know, I've had to adjust how I show love just because my parents didn't do that to me. doesn't mean that other people don't need that and want that. So now I snuggle with my husband. I like hold his hand and I'm just, I, I, I nurture him and I just love him. And that personal touch is super important. And when I say personal touch, it doesn't mean physical, like sex and things like that. That personal touch is just me holding him, me being present, me listening and selling him that I love him as well. And that was I that, need him. Was that difficult for you to, to, to change? Um, it was at first because I was still so guarded, but now it seems very natural. And when I think about how cold I was, I'm, it doesn't make me happy. It makes me actually sad. Um, so it's very easy for me now to be super loving and I know it makes him happy and it makes us connected and it makes him feel loved. And that's the most important thing for our marriage is for him to feel like I love him and for me to feel he loves me. And it makes a beautiful connection and just commitment and just overall a beautiful relationship. I love that. That's awesome. So one of the things you said too, you, you talked a little bit about how when you decided to choose your marriage, there was this moment where you kind of had to let go of your business. And you, I mean, you, perhaps the business would crash and burn because you're going to choose your marriage over your business. And what actually happened? I think you touched on it briefly, but can you tell us what actually happened there? Yeah. So ironically enough, I had a mentor meet with me in November and he could tell I was drowning. He's like, you're on pace to fail. Your marriage is failing. Your company's failing. He's like, everything is going to be gone by the end of the year. You need to walk out of your business. And at that point, I was like, that's really, really hard because I was working, you know, 60 hours a week and just we were growing and all that. So in December, I took off and on December 1st, and I told my team, good luck. Call me if the place is burning. After you call 911, I'll see you in the new year. So that was the first time I stepped out of my company. And the reason I did that is that my mentor said to me, people are going to sink or swim. The dead weight is going to leave and the other people, the cream is going to rise to the top. And when I came back in January, that's exactly what happened. I had an entire organization that was grateful for me, that people were getting along, people quit. And I had a guy approach me and he's like, I want to work for your organization. And I was like, I don't really have a job for you, but I'll hire you. Let's just, we'll figure it out. And he, so he started the first week of January. The 18-year-old that I left my company in the hit, my company with created a full-time position for herself. And in January, we were all working together. In February is when I discovered um, my husband's affair. And at that point, I stepped out. I was very scared. I was very worried. I was like, what in the hell? But I was like, if I already did it a little bit, let's just test it again. And honestly, it was the best move. I got pulled off the hamster wheel. My company went from red to black. We went from old school to new school. This new guy I hired, he just took ownership of his role and he automated all of our systems. He like 
built a new website. If I would have been in place, he wouldn't have soared. He wouldn't have been able to do the things because I would have been in control. And I would have been like, but I never did it that way. And so he just had full reins to take ownership and just make decisions on his own. And because I was not there, he and this other girl were able to take my company and we just grew substantially. I was able to add myself to payroll and it just was the best thing ever. And I work now maybe 15, 20 hours a week, have a whole team in place. I'm making way more money, working way less, and I have amazing balance. And so if there's any entrepreneurs listening, take yourself out of the business because you'll be able to work on instead of in. And they'll, you'll be able to create so much more opportunity for everybody around you in your personal and your professional life. I love that. And I love how you letting go of the business a little bit to, to prioritize your marriage. Actually, the business was still okay. Sometimes people are afraid to let that happen, right? They say, um, you know, I heard another, but just another thing from St- Stephen Covey, which we're bringing up again. I apologize, but what happened? Oh, that's good. I'm a fan. He talks about how you, you know, you lead, you, a lot of times people climb this ladder to success and they climb all the way to the top and they've now made it financially, but then they realize that their ladder's on the wrong. Right. So they say, okay, I've made the bazillion dollars, but my family life is in shambles or my children are really struggling or something's happening here. And if you think about it, you know, we can build businesses that are wonderful, but the truth is in a decade or two or three, usually most businesses will be disrupted, bought, sold, bankrupted, irrelevant. But the relationships we have, especially in our own families. I mean, they can go on for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, let, let me give you an example. I have no clue. If, and I, I ask people this sometimes. I'll say, do you know what your great-great-grandfather, great-great-grandmother uh, did for a living? And and you had like 16 of them, just so you know. And most people can't tell you. They might know one or two. Most people say, I don't know. Do you care if they had the coolest horse or the coolest plow? Most people are like, I don't care. I don't care if they were the rock star you know, but the kind of person they were, were they patient or kind or were they, you know, drunk or they, whatever they were, what was it that they passed on? And it, it's still affecting you in probably ways that most people don't realize, you know, there's the stuff they did in the relationship that, that was passed down to you. So I love your focus on relationship. Tell us a little bit about this book, Stroke It. And tell, tell us a little bit more about why you wrote it, first of all, but also about how it affects, like has to do with relationships, first of all. And give us a little more background. Right. So obviously the basis of it, the original journal pages were all about how I felt about my husband and the pain I was going through. And then I started writing about the changes I was going through and me taking ownership and how impactful that was. And so I started stroking myself. I started saying, you are beautiful. You are valuable. People do respect you. You are an amazing wife. Like I started really just taking ownership of my feelings, my positive self-chatter, my time. I would go play tennis. I would go and work out. I would go and do me before I would go rush into the office and do anything else for anybody else. And then I was like, oh, I'm becoming a better leader. I started encouraging my team members to do self-care and start working out. And then I was like, oh, we need to have mental health days. And so I essentially just started stroking myself then my husband, and then I started stroking my employees and offering them balance and guidance and telling them to focus on their mental, emotional, and physical health. 
And then my employees started showing up on time. They started bringing new ideas. They started having work-life balance, which made them happier, which made them more productive. So then they started stroking me because they were just amazing employees. And so it just kept going from then and there. And then, you know, then I do talk about friends and family, you know, supporting your friends. A lot of people are like, I have no friends. No one calls me. Your friend is waiting for you to call them. Your friend is waiting for you to make a date or an appointment or go and get coffee, go and call that friend. We all have these to do it. That's so cute. You be the change, right? Like you want to be, you want to be a friend, be a friend, be the one who makes, I love that. Keep going. We just expect everybody else to fuel us. We expect everybody else to show up in ways that we're not even willing to show up for ourselves. So the whole stroke it book is really just enhance the relationships with the people by making sure they know that they're valuable, they're appreciated, that you want to spend quality time with them, making the time for them. And it all starts with you. There is a chapter for your pleasure because most people think that the book is about other things. Um, So I do include some fun tips and resources in there for you to spice it up. And I always say, if you stroke people properly, they'll drink your Kool-Aid and they're going to love it. And stroking it allows people to be more happy productive, happier, and live life fully. And at the end of the day, if that's what we were, are working with, we are going to have a much happier world and community. Right. I love that. And they even said, you know, stroke, it reminds me a little bit of like positive reinforcement. So like when people are doing stuff that are positive, reinforce it, reward it. Um, yes. As you would say, stroke it. I mean, like <laughs> yeah. let's, let's find and catch people doing something right and see the good in them. Is that what I'm hearing a little bit of? 100%. It's just like children. A lot of people will tell their kids, oh, you did such a great job. Well, you tell your kids that because you want them to continue doing that. And then you reward them as well. So it's like, if they make good grades, maybe you give them some money. So my husband, it's like, if he shows, he buys me flowers, then I'm going to snuggle with him more. Or if he takes out the trash, I say, thank you. That's not something we ever argue about. And I know a lot of married couples argue because their husband, if they have to constantly ask him to take out the trash. My husband naturally does it. And I make sure to say, thank you. Dishwasher. He always does the dishwasher. I always say, thank you. Because I don't have to, we don't have to, we don't have to argue about so many things because we are a team and he's thanking me. I'm thanking him. We, we genuinely appreciate each other and we don't take each other for granted. And neither one of us is the boss. We are in this together. You're equal. I love that. You reminded me, somebody said that behaviors are like seeds and attention is like water. So you water the behaviors you want to see grow with attention. And, you know, I like how you said that. So like if he takes out the trash, which is maybe a behavior you want to see grow, you're sitting there saying, hey, thank you. You, He does the dishes and you're thanking him for doing the dishes or whatever. And we can do that with children too. We could say, you know, you did something right. Let's, let's reward you. Let's, let's give you attention. We want to give attention to the behaviors we want, but what happens a lot of times in relationships is somebody does something that you don't want and you give that a ton of attention. What you don't realize is you're watering the behavior right there with attention. Right. So, so we're very, or, or we're very judgmental. Mm. So you have to just release the control. Don't judge how they're doing it. So many times, like we judge or we tell people how to do it. Like, I tell my husband how to drive all the time in the passenger seat when I should just let him drive and I should just enjoy the view, right? (laughs) So 
I think if you release control and you're not so judgmental and you don't have such high expectations of other people, you're going to have more inner peace and you're going to be more grateful and you're going to be able to show that appreciation to your loved ones. And they're going to appreciate it and they're going to want to do it more. And it just leads to a beautiful relationship. You know, I love that. When you said that, you know, I thanks for sharing that, Jenny. Um, I heard somebody say that like expectations, you know, here we expect something of our spouse or a relationship or an employee, but if reality comes in lower, we're frustrated. So this distance between high expectations and lower yes. is called frustration, right? So if our expectations go up and our reality goes down, our frustration's actually growing. And so we can, to get it less frustrated, we either have to get performance up or we've got to get our expectations down. And a lot of times the way we can do that is by saying, you know what, I'm going to expect reality, right? So then I'm not as frustrated. And then the next step to that would be like, let's see if we can make their reality better than they expect. And if you can do that, that then becomes delight. All this, you know, if somebody, you know, if your husband, for example, was to send you flowers, you might be surprised and delighted rather than frustrated, right? Because all of a sudden your reality is a little bit better than you expected that day. And so that managing expectations, like expecting, like maybe keeping your expectations low for others, but then trying to make their reality better than they expect might be a key to a good relationship. Possibly. Or communicating, communicating yeah. your needs or what you're expecting. So that way they know, okay, nope, that's not going to happen that way. That's not what I was envisioning. That's not what I was thinking. And then you can have a conversation. You can be more on the same page. That will also help with your relationships. Yeah, communicating and communicating what your expectations are or aren't, right? That's, right. That's well, this is great. How how can people get a hold of you, Jenny? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, but the best way is to go to my website at Jenny all day with one L Townsend.com. And I have a free download. So I've got the four ground rules that will help you with enhancing every relationship in your life, especially with yourself. That's a free download as well. They can download the Stroke It podcast, tons of resources. I do quickies on Tuesdays, and then I do guest interviews on Thursdays. And we're it's all about personal and professional growth, living life to the fullest. But number one, it's about taking ownership of your life. And that's what I'm here to do is encourage you to do so. So I hope you will connect with me. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. It's been an honor to have you on here. So Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y-A-L-D-A-Y. Townsend, T O N S E N D. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Jenny Alvey Townsend, I'll, I'll let you spell it. So it's been an honor to have you. Great. Uh, is there anything else you would say? One thing that would help people um, take ownership of their life, as you say? Yeah, I would just say by taking ownership of your time. That's the most important thing. I actually do have a free download for block scheduling, but taking ownership of your time and doing what you want to do, not what other people want to do, is going to be key to kickstarting your happiness and taking ownership of your life. Awesome. Jenny, thank you so much for being on the show today. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the Principal Podcast. I'm so glad that you listened and took the time. You know, I'm on a mission to help as many marriages and families as I possibly can. I would love to hear from you. You know, things that keep you up at night, that concern you about your family, your marriage, and things we could talk about on the Principal Podcast. If you like the podcast, please like, subscribe. 
You can check out my book on Amazon. It's called What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die. And again, thank you for supporting the podcast.